Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is joined by Michael Bird and Brad Adotto, legal counsel to AmSpa from Bird Adotto Law Firm. All right, welcome everybody. This is Medical Spa Insider, Alex Tiersch, your host. Um, I'm very excited to be joined by uh, legal luminaries, Michael Bird and Brad Adato, who are, are uh, not only um, big a big part of AmSpa, but uh, my law partners, and many of you have heard from them. Boys, how are you doing? Thanks for joining. Excellent. Great. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. I think this is uh, the third time or fourth time you've actually been brave enough to bring us back on, so... Uh... Kudos to you. Yeah, well, he actually wasn't recording the first two. Oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> well, and and just because we're we're this far doesn't mean we have to release it. So that's a whole other that's a whole other thing we <laughs> got to go for. Got it. No worries. <laughs> so um, I I asked Michael and Brad to come on today because I wanted to talk about uh, the corporate practice of medicine and you know own, which is ownership really ownership of of med spas and really what it is is the the kind of the intersection between the practice of medicine and the practice of business. And, and so how medicine is practiced, who's who's in charge of that practice, and then the money that flows from that. And obviously in our industry, this is, this is um, a big deal because medical spas are cash-based. So we're, we're, you know, for-profit entities. We're not uh, we don't receive insurance, and we've we've talked a lot about the corporate practice of medicine. And I think there's been, you know, a, a, as I go around the country and talk at our boot camps, and, and as we um, publish and things like that, we we definitely get questions about this. And so I wanted to kind of dive into it specifically, um, you know, what it means in general as far as you know who can own a med spa in, in nationwide in, in some of the various states, but then also specifically in the state of Texas where Michael and Brad are are located uh, or headquartered, I should say. Um, there's been some question there, but um, I, I, I want to start off by um, the, one of the ways that, that, that it made sense to me when we talk about the corporate practice of medicine and um, you know the intersection between business and the practice of medicine. Um, I always hearken back, and whenever I explain this at our boot camps, I, 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 I tell this story because I, I feel like it, it, it somewhat crystallizes and personifies the issue. Back in 2008, when I first came into the, the industry and was representing some folks, um, I actually represented um, three nurse practitioners in, who were investigated by um, the, uh, the nursing board um, in relation to a, a large company, which I'm not going to name, that dealt with was a large, large laser chain. And, and what had happened was, and this was pretty common back then, not only for laser chains, but also for just in med spas in general. Um, their whole setup was kind of corporate um, process and procedure and sales and incentives. And the way they had it set up was that folks would come into their to their chain and they would to their to their location and they would be met with a consultant and that consultant would sell them on the services of the um, of the laser chain and they would upsell and they would try to get them to take as much as they possibly could sign them up for packages sign them up for things like that um, and the way it was structured corporate wise was up the chain folks would be compensated based upon the amount of money that came in to that particular facility. And there was managers, they would get compensated on what the consultants would make. And there was a lot of issues with this, including, um, 
you know, who is actually seeing the patients first. But the real issue here, and one of the reasons that they ultimately failed, was that they were using a corporate model um, to to govern the practice of medicine in that the 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 settings of the lasers the amount of filler for instance that was being recommended was all based upon corporate interests uh, upon making money for the corporation above them not upon the, the 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 benefit and the the well-being of the patient and that's really what the corporate practice of medicine or, or why it's been been developed and addressed over the course of the years is that states want to ensure that the patient care is in the hands of doctors um, and 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 the medical decisions are in the hands of doctors and corporations that are setting profit goals and setting um, sales goals, they are not the ones who are determining what treatments patients should get. And that's the genesis of the corporate practice of medicine, really how it, how it comes up and how we deal with it. Um, and, and, and for a, a lot of people, it, it, it kind of brings it into focus when you look at it as far as the reason for why it's in existence. Now, we talk about that now because we talk about ownership of med spas. Who can actually own a med spa? Why does that matter? How it comes into play? It's the first thing whenever you guys give a talk, I've seen it many times, the first thing you talk about is ownership. It's the first leg of the stool um, in, in, in the three-legged stool. Um, and it's, But it's important for folks, to, I think, to understand and know why it's important, why we talk about it, what the issues are. Um, and then we'll get a little more specifically into some of the issues that have come up in, in Texas, which I think are, are, are often, honestly, um, kind of um, representative of what happens nationwide. But I'll, I'll start with, with with just generally, guys, um, and, and 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 Michael, since you know your name is first on the firm, we'll uh, we'll 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 start with you. What's um, just in, when you're advising folks on the corporate practice of medicine, um, it, whether it's in Texas or another state, um, what's the why should they care about this? I mean, I, I I know there's there's laws and doctrines and things like that, but what's the what's the reason this matters and 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 how does it apply in the real world? Well, the reason it matters is that you're if you're a business owner, you're by becoming a business owner, you're assuming risk with the business, and you want to be aware of what your risk is. If you're going into healthcare, that risk skyrockets compared to, um, you know, a traditional business because healthcare is so heavily regulated. And this is one of them. You touched on it. The, the reasons that state, if state, if a state has corporate practice of medicine, the reason they do it is they're trying to, um, protect against the commercialization of medicine that you'll see that kind of a statement, big, broad, you know, passion statement behind their writing of the laws. And, but Really, what it gets down to is they're very protective of patient safety, uh, and they want to make sure that non-doctors are not in, in getting too connected to the chain of care. And so uh, the reason why everyone should care is because um, you do want to make sure, I mean, as an industry, we want to make sure that patient safety is at a premium. But the reason a particular person should want to care is that um, you want to understand what your boundaries are in the state that you you are existing in, and uh, and that you're structurally set up in a way that that deals with the corporate practice of medicine if that if that state has it, and uh, and it's it's 
imminently solvable if someone will just make sure they kind of put the infrastructure and the processes in place kind of when they're when they're starting. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, one of the things that's always been kind of confusing is that every state is different. Um, what's, Brad, what's the, uh, you know, and I know you can't summarize this in one sentence, but um, generally speaking, what's the lay of the land as far as someone comes in and says, hey, can I own a med spa? I'm in state X or state Y. Um, you know, wh- what are some of the different iterations of that that, are, that, are, that that people need to watch out for? Yeah, they're basically, you know, they fall into three different silos, the best way to kind of think about it. Silo one is going to be a state um, that only the physician can only, period, no questions asked. There's no, no one else that can be a part of that. Silo two would be a state where a physician and um, other individuals can own it with that physician. And that could be medically related individuals or non-medically related individuals. And your final silo would be the one in which anyone can own it, um, where you don't even have to have a physician that has to be an owner. And I know that, you know, we get this question that follow up all the time, Alex, is, well, what about states in which there's that nurse practitioner, should, the nurse practitioners have independent autonomy? Yeah, I'm not talking about those right now. I mean, yes, there are states that do have that. But going back to your question, those are the three major silos. And those can be so different because you could have a state like, we're here, we're here in Dallas, Texas, but if you have a state like Texas where it's just some very limited, a physician owns it with certain limited other healthcare licensed providers, um, and then you could jump to a state like California where it's a physician and certain a larger number of healthcare providers, and then you go to other states um, in which it doesn't matter who the person is. Right. And you know what? I like... One of the issues that that I mean, and I've been talking about this for you know over ten years, and um, even today. So we're in 2021, going on 2022, um, and I've seen you guys do this too. Whenever we talk about this, there's always a fairly large percentage of the room that just seems like acts like we just told them that you know Mars has people living on it and like they can't understand that this is actually a thing because of the way the industry is developed how big of uh, a risk and 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 we'll get into to, to texas in a second because i think it's again it's it's representative but like there aren't corporate practice of medicine police coming busting down the doors right so you you don't have you, you, th- th- there's not a ton of enforcement in this how much should people actually be worried about following these particular rules and what's the impact of not following them? Yeah. I mean, we, we talk historically speaking, there are some exceptions and we can speak to those. Uh, Historically speaking, corporate practice of medicine is not a primary form of enforcement that you'll see. We call it a technical violation. And so what happens typically is uh, a traditional reason that a medical board investigates will come up a patient is harmed in some way or some other conduct that's being investigated and the corporate practice of medicine issue will be kind of become part of that investigation once pandora's box is open there's not typically police out there you know searching for uh illegally owned medical practices in the various states um and so the risk, consequently, is, you know, maybe 
not as big as some other violations, but you have to understand that the consequences if you get caught can be pretty can be substantial. And in particular, um, you know, if it's going to be a really bad outcome if if it is, comes with someone that's gotten hurt, um, you know, a med spa that's improperly owned and a patient got injured, and and they're just it's going to really heighten the consequences from that. Now, I'll say all of that to say that uh, MSOs are under attack in California right now. Right, right. They are looking at them. Uh, we've seen, you and I had a, a podcast on legislation that's not active right now. Uh, we have clients who are experiencing investigations from the California Medical Board where they focus on corporate practice of medicine. And so it's front and center. And then really med spas is, is one of their focus areas. Well, yeah, and just, go ahead, Alex. No, no, I, I just want to say, for, for those of you who are listening and maybe don't know, and Michael mentioned MSOs, and that's, uh, you know, Management Services Organization, and that is, you know, a, an entity that is formed to, to handle the business side of things, and it's a way around or through the corporate practice of medicine statutes. Uh, Brad, go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to add the exact same thing. It's from, from context, because, you know, Michael loves context, so I was just <laughs> trying to give him some. Uh, but yeah, with the MSO model, as you were articulating, that is a model that's used actually in states that either have a corporate practice medicine restriction um, or even sometimes in which we, uh, we have clients in other states is just used as an, uh, an asset protection planning purposes or just separating the, the clinical side from the management side. So MSO models can be used in, in lots of different ways. It doesn't just have to be used in, in, in those particular states. And I think one of the other things Michael was, you know, talking about it, you had asked some what could happen. You know, I agree with Michael that, you know, it's, it ends up being a technical violation. They don't come in and demand your papers to see who owns what. It always comes out in light of an investigation when they start trying to dig further in to, you know, as to who owns it. And then in strong court practice in medicine states, then they then decide, well, if the physician is supposed to own it, then patient care can't be done correctly because the wrong person owns it. But what normally happens is, is you might just receive a cease and desist order saying, hey, you can no longer operate this entity um, because you're not compliant. Well, that can still be very problematic. You have your name, you have your website up, you have patient appointments, and all of a sudden you have to close your doors and get yourself uh, fixed. And, and, and adjust the actual ownership to be in the correct model. And then the medical board has already got a spotlight on you if they sent you a cease and desist letter and they may just come back and reinvestigate you later. So it's never a great spot to be in. Um, it is a risk. It's not the, uh, it's not the one, that's not the reason as Michael said, they walked the front door. Right. But they may stay much longer um, for the party. <laughs> um, well, it, you know, you, you can't talk about the core practice of medicine without talking. And, and by the way, Michael has CP and Brad has OM tattooed to their backs when they stand together on the beach. CPOM. 
Get it's it. a great party trick. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's you guys have gotten a lot of referrals off that. I'm sure. Um, yes. <laughs> you you can't talk about that without talking about MSOs, and and I don't want to di- dive in too much to MSOs because it's you know a podcast unto itself. But but I, I w- w- it, and for those of you who are who are kind of wondering how this all works, the there are states, obviously, like we've talked about that prohibit anyone from a physician or a physician plus a, some other type of practitioner to own a med spa. And the way to get around it is, is you as a layperson, a business owner owns a company that just provides the business services. And in a way I always, I, I, I like using, um, MSOs as a way to really define what the corporate practice of medicine means, because a properly run MSO is is one where there is a true separation between the business side and the medical side. And um, you, Michael, you mentioned California, um, which is 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 interesting because there's there's legislation that that it's not necessarily directed um, at MSOs uh, in aesthetics, but it's directed at um, corporate interests generally, um, and. That also, you know, some of these these medical board investigations that are targeting MSOs. What, do you have any idea? Just kind of as as we sit here, what's the what's the driving force behind it? I mean, what's the problem that 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 these that these investigators are having? Or do we even know? Is is, is it is it a is it a the formation is not correct? The people aren't following the rules, or is it just a they've got to stick up their ass about MSLs? Yeah, no, I, I, it's a it's a great question and one that I mean, we've been working with uh, local council in California, and all, none of us can say we know why this has become front and center, um, but. You know what it likely is is that you know someone has decided that MSOs are uh, you know a bad thing for healthcare for patient safety, and um, and so they're attacking it now. I will say that the way the law is written, um, you know, is that the MSO, if done correctly, um, stands up to the law in California. Now, someone has got to be willing to fight that fight if they get investigated for it. And they've got to be set up properly and operated properly. Um, but as far as, you know, why there's this interest, um, you know, I, I think the most popular answer is it's California. I mean, <laughs> it, it, there's we don't know for sure. Yeah, and we don't have a good answer as to why, but I can tell you that based on some conversations I've had with some physicians who are cheering this on is some of them feel like that uh, corporations have taken over the practice of medicine and this is their way of trying to stop it. And when I say that training has left, that's what's what's so shocking. If you really read about, at least in any state, how large systems use management service or this is you know people sometimes it's the first time they heard the word mso and they're like oh is this something you knew you invented i mean management service organizations have been around for 30 i don't know 35 40 years i mean i've been practicing law for 23 24 years my first job was an in-house counsel for an mso company mm-hmm. and they had been around a long time before i showed up um and so this is not something that we just came up with and so For California to be looking at MSOs now, or just in general, for anyone to be questioning the legality of it, 
all you have to do is go back to where you started the conversation, Michael and, and Alex, is ultimately let's throw ownership out the window because that's I know we're talking about that, but ultimately it does come down to one question. Who is controlling the medical decision-making? And that is, that is the question that every single state wants to understand, whether or not you can own it legally in your state or you can't own it legally in your state. Because if there is a feeling that there is an absentee physician, that it's just an empty shell and that businessmen and women are making every single decision, that's going to be problematic in any state. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I guess I get it, you know, I, I under... I, I get where the concern comes from, but in some ways, I feel like it's a, it's a it, med spas in particular maybe are being swept up in you know the the just like the there's this explosion and and we're the kind of the, uh, getting hit with debris because we're not really the issue here. It's like the, you know, I can see if there's a big corporation that's that or hospitals that are making decisions based upon whatever it is. I can see that potentially being a concern, but I mean, uh, to me, and I always make this uh, this argument: a, a properly run MSO should make the medicine better because it allows the physician time to do what they want to do, which is practice medicine, and as opposed to doing all the business decisions. Right? I mean, that's kind of how it's supposed to work. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, the the job of a managed service organization is, if done correctly to allow the physician to walk into a room, flip the light switch on, and then move forward on all the clinical decision-making that happened. And you, the management service organization, you made sure that those things were there for them. Obviously, there's certain things that the doctor has to have oversight on, like who's the staff, what type of equipment you're using, what type of supplies, and, and everything else. But ultimately, that should make their life easier. That's, that's why it's almost impossible to talk about corporate practice of medicine without talking about the MSO, because the CPOM says we don't want non-doctors practicing medicine, and an MSO is an arrangement that sets boundaries on who's doing what in a relationship, and it's saying a properly set up one, doctors are practicing medicine, and the business people are doing the business things. And so they they just, they go hand in hand. Um, and, And it really, as complicated as it can sound, I mean, there are some core principles that, um, you know, let you know if you're on the right side from a a risk perspective. And it's, you know, having an engaged doctor, making sure that the the medical entity is collecting the revenues of the, of patient care and, and that the doctor has kind of decision-making over hiring and firing of clinical staff oversight on advertising um, and, you know, obviously is engaged from a, the clinical side with written protocols and all of that. I mean, it's not, um, it, it can start to feel overwhelming, but it's really just, you know, making sure that the doctor is engaged in these key areas that the regulators tend to care about. Yeah. And I'll add one more thing, Alex, to this. And this is where people, I've heard them talk about MSOs are so illegal because of A, B, and C. And it really comes down to is, okay, so then what are you okay with? Are you okay with the billing company? Yes. Are you okay with the company that leases you equipment? Well, yes. What about a landlord? 
Well, yes. Mm-hmm. What if you want to hire a marketing company? Oh, no, that's totally fine. What if you hire a staffing company? Oh, that's totally fine. And you start breaking down what does what services a management service organization doing. It's doing all of that, and you need to go hire an I, and a, a company to help you with, with designing this or an IT company or whatever it is. Well, that's that's basically you've now housed it all in one location. And so if there's eight or ten different service lines that are out there, but it's all being done to the management service organization, the clinical decision still being controlled by the, the physicians, to me, ultimately, going back to the beginning, well, if you're all right with those eight other service lines, why is it bad when it all goes through one entity? And that's the, that's the question I don't know how to answer. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the, I, I think you... you, you almost created more questions by, 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 by laying that out because the, the truth of the matter is all that is well and good. And I, and I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I'm in favor of, of non-physician ownership personally, because I feel like a lot of physicians are just shitty business people and they don't know how to do it. And they, and, and so it, it makes for better businesses and stronger businesses tend to be compliant as opposed to, uh, you know, non-stronger businesses. But the, the issue becomes just what you said, Brad, which is they have to ensure that the physician is making the clinical decisions. And the, the, the risk is that when you have a corporation who's, you know, and, and really this kind of goes back to what I said in the very beginning with like some of these, these laser chains at the beginning of the, you know, the, this millennium, like when the, this, you know, the first iteration of med spas, like their, their job was to make money and the owners of those companies wanted to make money and they wanted to incentivize their staff to make money. And that was the overriding goal. And it's very easy to see, I think, how that can, can start to erode medical decision making when you combine the two, because you're talking about making money on the one hand, the, the business side, the practice of medicine. So it's this interchange of, of both of them. Um, but what happens when there's a conflict, right? When all of a sudden, you know, the, the bottom lines are affected and the business owners think there should be one thing, but the physician or provider thinks there should be another. That's where you have to make sure that you have that, that, that proper delineation. And, and that's, that's kind of the issue, isn't it? I, I actually think that the biggest issue is um, that doctors that are hired for these roles as supervising physicians or owners of the medical practices have day jobs and, and there's a certain expectation that this is mailbox money and they're, they're not engaged. They don't perceive this as anything other than some level of oversight, which to some degree is true in most states, but the problem comes up when their perception of oversight is less than what's required. And so mm-hmm. um, they're not getting paid enough money to, you know, be in the business. And, uh, and you know, that's that, that we don't run into the problem of the doctor trying to do too much and the corporation saying, whoa, you know, you're kind of crossing into my territory very often because the doctor's, just aren't you know they have other things to do Uh, i think that if a doctor were dedicating that amount of time to the business that would absolutely happen Uh, that you would have you know kind of want to make sure you have clearly delineated roles and responsibilities and that people you know stayed within their lanes 
Hey everybody, this is Alex Tier, CEO of Amspawn. I want to give a big thank you to our friends at RepeatMD for sponsoring this podcast. And I have something really interesting I want to share with you about them. They recently did a study and asked the following question. Why haven't you bought a specific aesthetic service or treatment package? And they got over 34,000 uh, responses from that. And what was their answer? The number one answer, getting 38% of the vote, was I didn't know enough about the service. And I'm sure all of you listening have heard your patients say, I didn't know you did that, which of course I'm sure can drive you crazy. The number two answer, getting 36% of the vote, was also very interesting. That answer was, I feel guilty purchasing an expensive service or treatment. And our friends at RepeatMD can help solve both of their problems. RepeatMD's goal is to grow your high margin services by building your own private label mobile rewards app. Think of it like a Starbucks rewards for your practice. Having your own mobile rewards program will simultaneously make your patients aware of all your treatments and give them incentive to purchase. In other words, the permission to buy. For more information, visit repeatmd.com forward slash AmSpa to book a quick product demonstration. That's repeatmd.com forward slash AMSPA, A-M-S-P-A, as you know. If you decide, like hundreds of aesthetic practitioners already have, that RepeatMD is a great fit for you, you will receive a 50% credit towards your purchase for being a medical spa insider listener. So let's, um, I, I, I do want to talk about Texas for, for a second, because um, we went from California to Texas, two polar opposites in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, but, um, you know, Texas is in some ways, by the letter of the law, more strict than California when it comes to ownership, right? When it comes to doctors uh, owning med spas or, or, or medical facilities. Um, we've, and I bring this up because we have a lot of members in Texas and there's been a lot of discussion and disagreement and, and, and some, some, some real passionate feelings on both sides about this, um, Brad, what's the like? You 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 mentioned um, that Texas has you know ownership with certain practitioners. Um, I think you said PA and maybe a chiropractor. Uh, what's the lay of the land in Texas? Where does this this come from? Um, and like, what analysis are are you guys doing to come to this conclusion? Because there are folks, and I say that there are folks out there who say. Anybody can own in Texas. This is just a bunch of malarkey, and, and you're doing this yeah. because you're creating a problem. Let's, let's go back to a decade plus ago. Only physicians in the state of Texas could own a medical practice. There was never a question in doubt as to who could own it. And then slowly over the last decade, they added that PAs could own it with a physician up to 49%. Then they added chiropractors. They've added podiatrists. They've added... Um, um, optometrists so they keep increasing others who could do it as you notice i did not mention any nurse practitioners or any non-other physicians in that mix so in texas in some ways it's been diluted a little bit right but when you read through the statutes it's pretty clear as to what was the intent why do they have these rules about who can own it and how they do it and they have a lot of rules in a lot of different areas they, they say the basically the same thing over and over again and it either has to do with that physician owning it or a physician with certain only limited people. There is um, individuals out there who just basically feel like because um, of a, a, a way something is written in the rules that, oh, it's fine. Anyone can own an LLC. If anyone can own an LLC, anyone can employ a physician, be an independent contractor. 
and then there you're fine because of some ways that some of the rules are written. And they are basically cherry picking certain pieces of statutes, but then ignoring if there's 25 rules to do it correctly, they're looking at one and they're saying, oh, look, if I just do that one thing, I must be okay. And that's on a very high level. There's some people that say it's unconstitutional, that anyone can own anything. Um, we have other people saying it's an antitrust. Um, and then other people just say it's, it's just blatantly obvious that anyone can own an LLC and therefore anyone can do practice medicine. And I know, Michael, you have some other pieces, but the, the, the last thing I want to add to this, and this is the same concept, is that, look, they, they all might be right. It may be unconstitutional and maybe antitrust, but the physicians that sign up with this, they're putting up their license um, to then try to decide, or those individuals that are working with them, how will the medical board ultimately decide this? And we know for a fact that at least one prosecutor um, in Texas is trying to get a skin on the wall to enforce these rules. The only reason why I know this is because of what happened to one of our clients, and that panel was more focused on patient care than ownership. You don't know who your panel is going to be in Texas. There's three different individuals that show up. So you may have a panel one day that says, you know what, let's make an example of this individual doctor, um, which they've done in other cases, but just not a med spa case. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's a very small group of attorneys who are very loud towards this idea that corporate practice of medicine is not a thing in Texas. And it's caught on with, as you might think it would, with uh, the med spa crowd of nurses and uh, nurse injectors and, and estheticians who want to own their own business. I understand it totally. I think that what we did when we started hearing about this is what we as attorneys should do, which is, look, this is just a risk question. Like, are we giving good advice and let's analyze What's happening? We release a field guide on the Texas Corporate Practice of Medicine five-part series, mm -hmm. and starting in January of twenty-one, that was the fruit of that research. That it, all of us collectively looked at the history of the the laws that form what is the corporate practice of medicine, and we will, I'd say, admittedly, it's a hodgepodge of things that make the law. It's not crystal clear like some other states. Yet, what is crystal clear in our conclusion is that corporate practice of medicine exists. There's court, appellate court cases published on the corporate practice of medicine. There are published medical board opinions, not a lot, a couple per year, um, going back several years where someone has gotten in trouble for uh, aiding and abetting the unauthorized practice of medicine, which is code speak for violating the corporate practice of medicine. And, and so what we feel like is that it is a disservice to tell someone, oh, you can do it, um, and they're, they're not going to be aware of what the risks are because uh, there is a chance, just like if you speed going 80 miles an hour down the highway and moving traffic is going 80, you may not get pulled over and you may not get pulled over for a while, um, but you're going to get blindsided if you get pulled over and you had no idea that you were that you were breaking the law. And in fact, you thought you weren't breaking the law right. because right. someone told you it was okay. Yeah, and I'd like to add two more things to that. Number one is uh, we we hear these rumors that oh, someone once said it's okay, 
There is no opinion letter from med- the, the Texas Medical Board that has ever issued saying that you can practice that on LLC. In fact, all we can find so far is the opposite of that. Um, and so, and there's no statutory or attorney general opinion. So as attorneys, going back to Michael's statement, our job is to determine that risk. We can jump to several other states and say, oh, look, see, in Oklahoma, you can form an LLC and you can own it. Or let's jump to Louisiana, which you said a very strong court practice medicine. Oh, no, you're fine. Anyone can own it. So you, we can jump to other states. And so the funny thing is, is that a lot of people say, well, you're only doing this because you're trying to push the MSO model. No, we're only doing it because we want you to be compliant. So when someone calls us up and says, I want to be compliant, our job as attorneys is to tell them the rules and the risks around the rules. And then if you decide to then not follow that, you just have to understand that that is a risk to your enterprise. And if you're trying to build something and you're, you're, as you build your model, it can get pulled out from underneath you, you should be aware of that. And, and look, Alex, you've said this a lot of times. You know, a lot of these people put the blood, sweat, and tears in it, and it really sucks that there are rules out there that kind of can hold these things up. But that's our job as attorneys to tell the rules. And if you, if you don't like those rules, either get the state to change them, which some mm-hmm. people have done, or get the attorney general to issue an opinion, which some people have done, or get the medical board to issue a ruling, which in some states they have done, none of which is in Texas. So we're, we're focused on Texas. All our job as an attorney is to interpret what is in front of us. Yeah, and and you know, just for some context for folks who who, who are listening, you know, it's it's this has become a, a really big focused hot button issue in Texas for a certain group, right? Um, that are that that have been very very upset with our position, not just your position, but AMSPA's position that you know the corporate practice of medicine is exists in some form in the state of Texas, and therefore you know the the way to be totally compliant and to ensure that you're compliant is to use an MSO model where you're avoiding this issue entirely. doesn't mean you have to do it that way. You know, there's people can make their own decisions. Um, so when you advise clients that come in and, and to, to be honest, it's, it's kind of, I can't even believe that we're still dealing with this. It's just, it's, it's, it's in some ways it's, it's kind of mind boggling that people still, still are thinking that like, what do you tell folks who say, um, I heard, or I read that the corporate practice medicine doesn't exist. I don't need to do that in Texas. Um, this is all crap. I want to do it. Um, I want to do it. I just want to own it. I don't care. Um, you know, what's what's the advice to folks that that, 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 that say that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I just faced this yesterday with a, a client that I have a trusting relationship with, and, and she really wants to work with a nurse injector. The nurse injector's attorney is one of these small, you know, few attorneys who advises that, that nurse can own her own LLC and contract with the doctor. And so, you know, I, I just spell it out from a risk perspective because it's, it, to me, it, you know, these physicians, other providers have a background in science and there's just a logic to, you know, if, if this is what's out there and this is what the risk is, you need to know what that is going into it. And I tell them, I, I can, I have written the arguments to the Texas Medical Board trying to defend a client who's been alleged to have aided and abetted in the unauthorized practice of medicine and uh, because of, of an arrangement like this. And so uh, we know that it is enforced. We've seen it. We've defended it. We see the opinions out there. And 
you know, uh, but it's hard because, you know, for this cl- client example, I have a trusting relationship with her. She knows that I have her best interest right. at heart. And so she's listens to it for someone out there who doesn't know us any different than they know, you know, one of these other attorneys, I get it. I would be confused. I would wonder, you know, what, what's their story. Uh, they don't, they don't have a reason. They don't know us to know, to trust us. So it's, uh, you know, I would just say to those, if they don't trust what they're hearing here, that you could go to a lot of well-respected healthcare attorneys in Texas that would tell you the same thing. Yeah, I can tell you and that's exact. I've had conversations with several of my, several healthcare attorneys who I, I consider uh, equals to me, not Michael. Michael's, a, you know, not as equal. But, um, <laughs> but when I talk to them about it, they're dumbfounded by these statements because guys who've grown up in Texas, who who practiced in this space, um, as long as we have, when we hear that, it's it's it doesn't make it doesn't compute. Like, well, that means well, that means you could own an orthopedic practice, and right. then like, no, 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 that's totally different. Well, how is that totally different? You're practicing medicine. You could just go practice. You could just go own your own orthopedic practice at LLC, and they say, well, no, med spots are different. I'm like, I, I don't. I don't understand how if it's practicing medicine, how it's different when it's med spa related. But if you're doing orthopedic practice, it's different. And I've heard them say things like that. And again, so that's what I'm saying. Really question that. Look, that's the easy answer. And yes, it makes life a lot easier. But I think going back to that risk, luckily, you know, the story that Michael just told this particular person did was able to get dismissed. It was a year long process where he had to report it to his insurance, any, any hospital that he had privileges he had to report it to. So this is not something as simple as like, oh, don't worry, you'll eventually may win because they still haven't really enforced it yet. Again, that was a, we, we got a good panel. So it worked out well for that particular case. It's not always that case. Yeah, this is, I mean, obviously this is a, this is a hugely complicated issue and it's not, it's not going away. I think what we're seeing in California um, is, you know, no matter what side of it you're on, it's the, 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 this is going to be litigated and, 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 and debated and, and worked out. Um, and, and I think it's just, you know, for, for members of, of, of AMSPA and, and people who are listening, it's like, there's, it's, it's not worth it in my mind to try to take a flyer on, you know, a chance that you're not going to get investigated or you're going to get a good panel or whatever. Um, now you, you mentioned a, a few things. Um, one was, first of all, you guys did a, a, a great, um, birded out at a great webinar on corporate practice of medicine, um, in general, and in particular in Texas, that's available for our members. Uh, if you want to, t- uh, take a look at that. You also mentioned, um, the, the, the that you prepared a field guide and you've got other resources that you've done. I know you've done some for your own podcast. Where can folks find information, uh, more information about this, whether it's Texas in spe- specific or or CPOM in general? Other than our backs where we have the <laughs> tattoos. Yeah. Um, so our website, com. we have a blog. It's called Banter. And uh, if you just type in field guide in the search bar, there's five uh uh, five part series. Yeah. Five part series, yeah. And so, you know, just it's and each of them are pretty easy reads. They're a couple pages, but we just broke it down step by step into each part uh, to help. And I mean, it's like uh, pretty. We tried to do it heavy, like with authority and citing to statutes and cases, but also 
make it digestible to anyone, and which is why we broke it into five parts. As best we can. As best we can, yes. Um, and, and then we also have a, a podcast where we've covered uh, the court practice of medicine several times in different stories. So if you if you enjoy our voices, um, <laughs> we have the, the legal one, two, threes with Bertadotto, which is on uh, all different platforms, including Spotify and Apple and uh, Google. So if you want to find us, um, but we've covered this story in different ways in different states really focusing on the impact it has on those doctors and and the ones who get brought in front of the medical boards and so you know the, the last thing i always tell everyone is that may not be ever been enforced but who wants to be the test case and i've had and in my lifetime several clients who end up being the test case and it's never a pretty spot to be well and i think we're gonna have to you know talk more about the california issues because i'm sure there's some folks out there when we've talked said hey it's under attack in California. They're driving off the road right now, calling their attorneys, trying to figure out what's going on. Because there's definitely some some things going on. Nothing's happened yet, so everyone should just you know, uh, we'll 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 keep you informed as to what's going on. But um, all right, guys, that, that we're, we're out of time. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I know this is you know dense material to to unpack, but you guys do it about as well as anybody. Um, and you know, I I want to see a picture on Instagram of the CPOM tattoos. Um, <laughs> but make Perfect. sure you do it in order. Yes. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Michael Bird and Brad Adotto, legal counsel to AmSpa from Bird Adotto Law Firm. If you're new with us, we would love to invite you to hit the subscribe button. Click it now so you can get AmSpa content delivered to you each time. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.